Welcome to The Measuring Line. I'm your host, Heath Meadows. We are finishing up our journey through the Lord's Prayer on this episode. And it is the last line, verse 13 in Matthew 6. And it reads, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this last line in the Lord's Prayer has carried a bit of controversy in that at first glance it appears that God is the author of temptation or that temptation is brought about through some action of God or or Him leading us into it. And there's nothing further from the truth that there's this idea that God leads us in temptation. He simply does not. In fact, James tells us this very clearly in James chapter 1, verses 13 through, I'm going to read through 15, and it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So many times Christians give the devil too much credit. He's blamed every time we fall into sin or we're tempted to do something bad or and giving into lustful desires. And we forget that we are the ones who decided to maybe look at that inappropriate picture or image or video, or maybe we uh, participate in some vulgar language or gossip at work or whatever the case may be that somewhere along the lines, we have opened ourselves up and a seed has been planted within our imagination. And then we begin to dwell on this thought or dwell on this image. It's kind of burned into our brains or our imagination. And when it's frequently meditated on, what happens is that thought, that thing that has started in our imagination or in our mind now brings forth and becomes reality. And this is why some of the greatest invent had some of the greatest imaginations because an imagination is a very powerful thing. And I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to a certain TV shows, you know, like Marvel superhero stuff, Star Wars, grew up with Star Wars. So one of my favorites, Star Trek, the same thing. And in the 1960s Star Trek, they had these doors that would automatically open when people were coming in and out. Well, the reality was back in the 60s, there was no such thing as automatic doors. And so they had guys behind the scenes when some when the actors would walk or seemingly come through the doors. There's actually guys behind the scene pulling ropes and trying to time that right. And what's funny is sometimes they didn't time it and the actor ran into the door. Uh, It's kind of funny, but that entered into somebody's imagination and lo and behold, the automatic door was invented and now that's a common thing in our society. So don't ever underestimate the power of an imagination. So with that, what's this passage really trying to say if it's not saying God is doing the tempting here? And if we're honest and humble, we know our own weaknesses. We know that there's things that exist within us that are not right and we need to work those things out. And with this in mind, the believer, when praying this line, actually seeks to be kept by God away from his own or her own sinful desires. God would grant us the ability and power to resist the temptation residing in us and to help us choose rightly. That is so important. And in Titus 2, 11, 12, it actually tells us what that power is. It's his grace. It says his grace was given to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It is his grace that empowers us to not make the wrong choices. And 
we have to renew our minds. And that transformation of who we are from the sinful nature sometimes happens instantaneously when we're born again. And sometimes it's a process that we have to work through and we have to struggle through. But it's just like the baby bird coming out of the egg, right? If we help the baby bird come out of the egg, he's going to die because he doesn't have the strength enough to get through the next part of his life, which is outside the egg. But through that struggle, we become strong. And it's the same thing when we struggle with things and we have to really fight through. It empowers us for the next level that we are about to enter in, the next phase of our maturity in God. That comes from studying the Word and allowing the Word to penetrate your mind. And as your mind is renewed, you begin to be transformed. You think differently, have a biblical worldview, and your imagination is sanctified, so to speak. And so things that go in there begin to be godly things, and you meditate on godly things. And as you do that, it washes out all that nasty stuff and begins to transform who you are. Now, again, we don't do works to earn our salvation. That I want to be clear on. But we do have to do some things in order to mature. We have to rightly decide to become disciples of Jesus and study his word and chase after him. And so as we do that, we are transformed from glory to glory, the Bible says. We are to pray for the power to resist the sinful desires in us, which also implies a self-awareness as to the weaknesses that exist within us. By knowing these weaknesses, we can also know the schemes of the devil or the evil one, for it is these very weaknesses that he will try to exploit in our lives. And 1 Peter 5 8 instructs us that we have an enemy bent on our destruction. We are to give him no opportunity to exploit us or other Christians. The good news is that the devil is no match for God and his work on this earth has a time limit on it. He and all his cohorts were completely defeated at the cross and led on a public spiritual display of defeat when Jesus was resurrected and ascended. He is no match for our Lord. And Jesus has delivered us from death and given us eternal life. And the Bible says in Ephesians that we are actually seated in heavenly places with him. And so the devil does not have authority over us as long as we remain in Jesus. And the final note here is that some manuscripts in the Lord Lord's prayer with this saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I know a lot of people may have heard that and wonder why I didn't quote that as the last line. Some manuscripts have it, some don't. It would make sense for it to be in there. It was in later manuscripts. It may have been in there or just implied before. Scholars are on the fence about it. We're going to go ahead and talk about it because there's three main symbols of the Christian faith in here. God's eternal kingdom, his omnipotence and his unfading and breathtaking glory are all represented by that statement. And I would like to encourage my listeners to say the Lord's Prayer every day, not as a religious practice, but to actually pray the words while understanding the depth of what you are praying, understanding that your heavenly Father is listening, that he is a holy God, but that reverence is due, that you are submitting your will to his, bringing his rule into your life and thereby the earth, trusting that he will provide you and your family everything that is needed, and even more important, show you his ways through his word in order that you may know his voice. Forgive, for this represents the heavenly Father well on the earth, for he first forgave us 
of everything that we've ever done. Resist temptation by renewing your mind and leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit and His grace. And when the devil comes knocking, reminding you of your past and failures, you remind him of who your daddy is, the all-powerful creator of the universe. Until we talk again, God bless.